But tonight, we are starting a brand new series called Book Club. Throughout this series, we are going to be looking at the shortest books of the New Testament. In fact, most of the books we are covering are just a chapter long. These are books that are often forgotten, ignored, and overlooked. They're either never read or just glanced at, but the goal of this series is to fix that. We really want to study these short books because they're full of truth and lessons for us to learn. This is why throughout this series, we're asking you to read along with us. We posted uh, what book to read on your Instagram. So if you don't follow us, make sure you do keep up with this series. So let me ask you a question. Did anyone see the story the other day? What, what book was on that story? Philemon. Did anyone read it? Just a few hands. So the reason we're doing this is we want you guys to follow along with us in this series. So these are books that maybe you've never even heard of, right? Philemon is all the way in the back of the New Testament. Maybe it's a book you glanced over. It's a one chapter long. Maybe you never thought it was that important. But man, Philemon's a great story, and we're going to be going over that tonight. So to give you a little backstory to the book of Philemon, Paul wrote this book in prison while in Rome, and it is Paul's shortest letter that he wrote. So Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament books that we have, and this is his shortest letter, his shortest book that he wrote, and he wrote it while in prison in Rome. So this letter, this book, is to a man named Philemon. Can everyone say Philemon? Philemon. He was a good Roman citizen from Colossae, and Colossae is what we would now know as modern-day Turkey. And Philemon, he was a man who always followed the rules Anyone, he followed the rules. Right, so Philemon, he was a good man. But he was also a wealthy man, a big house, a lot of land. Right? And so Philemon, he met Paul in Ephesus. And he got saved while Paul was on mission there. And Philemon ended up starting a church in his house back in Colossae. So maybe you can just start to imagine how wealthy Philemon was if he could start a, a big church in his house. So Paul went on mission to Ephesus, met Philemon here, shared the gospel with him, and Philemon, uh, Paul led Philemon to Christ. Okay, so now you have these two guys, these two brothers in Christ, now once strangers, now not. And like all wealthy Roman citizens, they had slaves, and Philemon was no different. He had a slave named Onesimus. Can we say Onesimus? So a little, little tough word there, but Onesimus, and this is our next character in the story. So we have Paul, we have Philemon, and we have Onesimus. Onesimus was a well-treated slave, and he worked the house and the land. So maybe when you think of slave, you, I think you, you may think of the wrong kind of slave, that he, he was treated right, he was treated fairly, he wasn't beaten, anything like that, that he was more of a housekeeper. Philemon was a busy man, he made a lot of money, so there's a lot of things Philemon had to do in his day. And so Onesimus was there to, to keep the house nice and tidy and to keep his land looking good. Well, one day Onesimus and Philemon got into some kind of conflict, and it doesn't say exactly what happened between them, but scholars believe Onesimus either stole money or cheated out Philemon in some way, and now they have this conflict going on between them. So it doesn't really say in Philemon, we're about to look in a second, why they're fighting, why this conflict happened, but a lot of scholars believe that Onesimus stole something from Philemon that started this, this argument and this conflict. Well, Onesimus, he ends up running away to Rome. 
The, the reason Onesimus fled to Rome is because there was a big population of people. Back in this day, Rome was a humongous city. And it still is today, but back then, it, it, it was huge. And so Onesimus thought, hey, I stole something. I did something wrong to Philemon. I'm going to run away to Rome, and no one's ever going to see me again. I'm going to blend in. No one's going to know who I am. I'm going to start life over. Okay, so this is what Onesimus was thinking when he fled to Rome. He thought he'd fit right into the crowd that was already there. But little did he know he would end up meeting a man named Paul. Onesimus, he's looking to right his wrongs and asking Paul what he should do to fix it. In this process of trying to right his wrongs, Paul leads him to Jesus and he, uh, he becomes a beloved assistant of Paul. So Paul, just like he led Philemon to Christ, now he meets Onesimus and he leads him to Christ. And so Paul was still in, in prison at this time and so Onesimus was, was helping him do ministry. And so Paul and Onesimus met and they became good friends, dear brothers that he calls him in this passage. And he was helping him do ministry. And so now we start here and Paul is left in a tricky situation to write this letter. So Onesimus, he finds Paul, he tells him, hey man, man, this is what happened. I, I feel really bad for what I did. I feel shameful, I feel guilty for stealing something that wasn't mine. I ran away and this is now my situation. So you can only imagine what Paul's thinking here is he's telling a story about Philemon, about this man who has a church in Colossae, and it probably rings a bell for Paul. Oh, I know Philemon. And so now he, he's stuck in this situation between two friends who are arguing, and that's where we start tonight. In verse 1 of Philemon, it says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphir, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God I, as I remember you and my prayers. Because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. So Paul, before he, before he does anything else in this letter, he thanks, he shows gratitude to Philemon. Man, thank you for, for doing ministry back in your house, back in Colossae. So before he does anything, he shows gratefulness to Philemon. Right, so Paul, he, he witnessed to Philemon, he became a believer, and as soon as that happened, he started a church back at his home. So, so Paul is, is thanking Philemon, man, thank you for doing ministry, thank you for obeying the word and, and, faith, and your faithfulness to God. But I want to focus on verse 6 because this is how Paul kind of opens up what he encourages Philemon to do with Onesimus. Key word in this verse is partnership. In this context, it means sharing or mutual participation. Paul is saying that faithfulness to Jesus means recognizing that all of Jesus' followers are equal partners who share the gift of God's grace and love. Paul is basically saying that he is on the same level as Philemon now. Paul writes to Philemon saying that him and Onesimus are on the same playing field now because of Onesimus' conversion to Christianity. Paul is saying they are equal partners, not separate people. This is the first thing that we learn of why Paul is writing this letter to Philemon. He's thanking him, first, for his ministry, and second of all, 
you need to look at Onesimus not as a slave anymore, but as an equal partner in ministry. That once, when he was first living with you and, and he was a slave to you, that he wasn't saved. He wasn't a brother in Christ. But now he is. And so now we need to view him as an equal partner moving forward. Okay? They're equal partners, not separate people. And so this is something I want us to focus on here moving forward in this passage. That This is one of the, Paul's main ideas writing this letter to Philemon. He wants Philemon to know and to look at Onesimus, a former slave, as an equal partner in ministry. Continuing on in verse 8, it says, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold in order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love, it is none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to both me, to you and to me. I am sending who is my very heart back to you. And you can see there in verse 12 how much he cares for Onesimus. He's become a, a dear brother, a dear friend. Continuing on verse uh, 13, it says, I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any, so that any favor you do not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that he might, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is a very dear brother to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So Paul points out that Onesimus has become Paul's brother in Christ. He's trying to change the way Philemon thinks about Onesimus. The only relationship Philemon and Onesimus has, have ever had was master and slave. That's the way his mind thinks when he thinks about Onesimus. Oh, you're just, you're just my slave. But no, Paul wants him to change his way of thinking. It's not master and slave, it's brother and brother in Christ. It's equal partners in the ministry. All right, so Paul, he's trying to tell Philemon, you need to change the way you view Onesimus. And it's interesting how he talks about this, but Paul, would, he, would, he said he would love to keep Onesimus, but he knows that this conflict must be resolved if they are followers of Jesus. It's interesting to note that a lot of people would have done differently than Paul. We probably would have kept Onesimus to ourselves because of our loneliness if we were in prison, but he wanted him to go back to Philemon to right his wrongs. So you can just imagine Paul is in this huge prison in Rome all by himself. He doesn't have anyone to talk to. He doesn't have anyone to listen to, to go to when he's, when he's sad or hurting. But now he found Onesimus, and they made a great friendship, a, a brothers in Christ, and he wants Onesimus to stay. But I think a, a lot of us in here, we would want to keep Onesimus for ourselves because we're lonely in prison. But Paul, he only cares about the furtherance of the gospel. He only cares about them reconciling their relationship that was broken. So he wouldn't have a good conscience if he kept Onesimus for himself. But he wanted Onesimus to go on to right his wrongs with Philemon. Paul cared more about them figuring out this conflict than he did about his own self-needs and having Onesimus stay with him. Well, then comes Paul's bold request in verses 15 and 16. He tells Philemon to accept Onesimus no longer as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. 
back in Roman time, Philemon had every opportunity when Onesimus came back to him to turn him into the Roman guards. Onesimus then, for stealing from him, would be thrown in prison and possibly killed for what he's done. But Paul's not wanting Philemon to do that. He's wanting to, first of all, forgive him, accept him as a brother in Christ, and see him as equal partners in ministry. So he had, again, he had every right to kill him. But he did it, and Paul's not wanting him to do that. And this is way more than kindness. This is unheard of. It's freeing a slave and treating them as an equal social member and family member. Can you imagine what Philemon's thinking? Okay, first of all, he stole from me. You want me to forgive him? Fine, I get that. We're followers of Jesus, and we need to forgive people. But you want me to accept him back as an equal family member? As an equal partner in ministry? As a brother in Christ, I think he's, he's probably, like me, bewildered by this statement. Well, that's crazy. Why would I do that? But finishing off here in verse 17, it says, So if you consider me a partner, welcome him back as you would welcome me. Very important verse there. If he has done you and any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my very own hand. Basically signing it said, if I pay you back, I'm promising to do that. He's signing it with his own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I... I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. So Paul is saying, and he kind of finishes off this letter with what we really want to focus on here. Paul is saying, if Onesimus is truly a family member now, then welcome him back if it were me. If he's wronged you in any way or owes you anything, then charge it to me and I will repay it. So you have to understand, it's very important to understand, you have to understand Paul and Philemon's relationship. They're dear brothers in Christ. Paul loves Philemon, Philemon loves Paul. They're good friends. And so Paul is asking Philemon, I want you to accept Onesimus back if it were me, like it were me. So you have to see him as equal partners in the ministry. You have to forgive him. Accept him back and treat it like it were me coming back to you. Okay? And like I said, the relationship is very important to understand. I want you to think of one of your very good friends. That's how Philemon and Paul were, right? Paul uh, shared the gospel with him and, and helped him to get salvation. But I don't know if you're making this connection that I'm making. Paul is basically taking the example of Jesus to us. Paul, he said, he will absorb the consequences of Onesimus' wrongdoing so that he can be reconciled to Philemon. He says in verse 18, if, if he has done you wrong in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. Paul has nothing to do with this. He just heard a story from this random guy that he led to Christ And now he's writing to Philemon, a dear friend, 
and wants them to be reconciled. But here's the thing that Paul is taking, the example of Jesus that he made to us. He's stepping in the middle of Onesimus and Philemon. And he wants them so badly to be reconciled that he says, if he owes you anything, charge it to me. I'll repay it. Even though Paul did nothing wrong, he says, I'll take it on me. Anything he owes you, put it on me. Paul, he's basically taking the example of Jesus to us. Paul, is a, he's embodying the meaning of the cross. He has made himself the center of Philemon and Onesimus' conflict so they can be reconciled to each other. Just like Jesus made himself the center of my sin and myself that I can be reconciled with God. Because that's what Jesus did on the cross. He stepped in the middle of your sin and yourself. And even though that he did nothing wrong, he took your sin, your guilt, your shame, he put it on his back, he put it on his shoulders. And he stepped in and he died for you. Even though he did nothing wrong. And that's exactly what, what Paul is doing here for both of them. And it's something interesting to know that it's the only letter that Paul doesn't talk about Jesus' death or resurrection. The only one. But because he demonstrates it through his actions. The same thing that Jesus did for you and me by taking our sin on his shoulders even though he didn't deserve it and died on a cross. Paul is... It, is stepping in the middle of Onesimus and Philemon. I want you guys so badly to be reconciled that I'm willing to pay for anything that he stole. Jesus wants us to be so reconciled with the Father that he's going to die. He died for you and our sin. Onesimus stealing from Philemon seemed to be horrible at the time but has an eternally good consequence. Philemon lost a slave, but gained a brother in Christ. Okay, so it seemed horrible at the time that he would lose something. He would lose a slave that he, he got stolen from, but now has a, it has eternally good consequence. It's also interesting to, to know how we, how we aren't exactly sure what Onesimus did to Philemon. All right, scholars can, can guess and uh, of that he stole something from Philemon. Well, we don't actually know what happened. But what Paul focuses on is the importance of forgiveness and accepting your brother and sister in Christ and not the sin. He's not focusing on, this is what Onesimus did. He's showing, man, this is how we forgive our brothers and sisters when they wrong us. He's not focusing on the sin. It's not, we don't even know what he did. But what we do know is Paul steps in the middle and says, man, this is how it needs to be done. You need to accept him as a brother in Christ. You need to forgive him and you need to move on. Martin Luther, he put it this way, we're all Onesimus. We're all fugitive slaves that need forgiveness. We all share the same need for forgiveness. But this letter, it's, it's much more than just a story about two people. It's more than just a, a great feel-good story about a man forgiving or accepting someone. It isn't just a story to make us smile and think how great Paul was. This isn't the reason why Paul wrote this letter, to make people think how great I am. He's showing the example of Jesus, what he did for us on the cross. The greater redemptive act of what Jesus did for us. And how as followers of Jesus, we are called to do the same thing 
to those around us. We are called to help those that are hurting and to be a friend of those who have wronged us. But how do we do that? How do we love someone that's hurting? And so as we wrap up, I want to look at two ways that we can do this. Number one, be a friend. Number one, be a friend. A friend knows everything about you and loves you anyway. A friend steps in when the whole world steps out. A friend is the one who never gets in the way except when you are on the way down. I've heard it. I've heard someone say it like this. I love this quote. It says, friendship is knowing there will always be someone around to lift you up when all others let you down. Friendship is knowing there will always be someone around you to lift you up when all others let you down. I think a lot of times we like to distance ourselves from hurting people. Even our friends, we like to distance ourselves. We either don't know how to relate to them and what they're going through. Maybe we just don't want even to get involved with their issues and would rather help from a distance. I think a lot, of, a lot of times what we do is, you know, someone will tell us, hey, man, can you pray for me? Hey, I'm, you know, I'm going through some stuff. Okay, man, I'll pray for you. And then we never pray for the person. Uh, we, we sometimes don't want to come alongside support and courage. Instead, we just kind of stand back and say, all right, man, praying for you. And we actually don't even end up praying for them. It's at these times when they truly need the support of their friends. What does a friend do? A friend refreshes the wounded. A friend comes alongside the hurting person to offer support and encouragement. They help the one who's struggling by comforting them. And they lighten the load of their burden and their pain. I love this verse about friendship. It's Proverbs 17, 17. And it says, a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times. Because I'm sure a lot of you in here have had friends that have hurt you. I've hurt friends. You've hurt friends. You've had friends hurt you. Man, Solomon's saying here in Proverbs that, man, a friend loves at all times. Even when they hurt you, a friend is still loving to that other friend. And a brother is born for adversity. You think this was an adversity, this conflict that Philemon and Onesimus were going through? Absolutely. Right, brothers are born for this kind of thing. A friend loves at all times. Number two, be a forgiver. We have a great ability to recall old conflicts and reopen old wounds. We tend to be unforgiving and unforgetting. Often the people with wounded hearts need a second chance to be forgiven. And I can, I'll be the first one to raise my hand that I, this is something I've done in the past and I've done a lot. If I've had a friend who wronged me, yeah, I love to bring it up. Man, remember that time that you stole from me? Remember that time that you lied to me? Talked behind my back? Man, we, we, we love to do that. We love to bring up old conflicts and reopen old wounds. But what does a forgiver do? What does a forgiver do? A forgiver releases the sin. In other words, they let it go and they don't keep a record of wrong. 
They don't hold grudges. They forget the mistake. And they allow the other person to get on with life. Forgiveness means to cancel a debt in order to provide an opportunity for reconciliation of a broken relationship. A forgiver, they let things go. Because guess what? All of us in here, we're sinners. We've all made mistakes. And if you haven't yet in the future, man, you're going to end up hurting a friend because you're a sinner. And man, for us to be a forgiver is, hey, I've realized what you've done, but I've, I've forgiven. You remember that story I shared at the beginning? I stole from my friend and lied to his face. And he still chose to forgive me. And that's why we're still friends to this day, 10 years later. And be a forgiver. C.S. Lewis, he says this, To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable to you. So many times we don't realize it, but when we turn our back on God, man, that's inexcusable. When we sin, we do things behind closed doors, man, that's inexcusable. But every time we ask for forgiveness from the Lord, guess what? He forgives us. And so from God forgiving the inexcusable in us, why does that give us the option to not forgive other people? To not forgive the inexcusable what other people have done to us? Forgiving people who have wronged us or hurt us or embarrassed us is not easy. Sometimes it seems impossible. But that is what God did for us and what he asks us to do for others. So man, as you guys leave today, you may be in a situation right now with a friend that they've hurt you. They've said things about you. They've treated you in a bad way. Maybe they stole something from you or lied to your face. So what, what, are you, what are you being to them? Are you being an unforgiver? Are you not being a friend? Or are you being a friend and being a forgiver? And God wants us to come alongside, lift others up, encourage them, support them. All right, let's pray. Dear Holy Father, God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for what you're doing at Bell Shoals and the student ministry and the kids' ministry. God, we thank you for this beautiful story, this beautiful letter that Paul wrote that exemplifies you. That sets the example of what you did on the cross for us. That even when you didn't deserve to die, you did it anyways because you loved us and you want us to be reconciled with the Father. God, I pray that if we have friendships that are hurting, that are struggling, God, I pray that we give them to you. That we mend them tonight, whether over text or phone or in-person conversation. God, we give no excuses when it comes to being a friend and being a forgiver. God, we lay everything at your feet tonight. We love you in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.